Welcome to Sibling Vulnerability Season 2. This is the January podcast. Uh, Our aim is to do a bi-monthly podcast this year, maybe more, might get some bonus episodes. Hope you enjoy this one. Okay, welcome to the New Year episode of Sibling Vulnerability. It's only halfway through January 2022, and I'm Shauna, and I am living in the colonized name Castlegar um, in the region of the Sinaiq's people. And I'm here with my brother. Doug, do you want to introduce yourself? I sure do. Uh, my name is Dougie. Uh, some people know me as Dougie Kane. Uh, I am coming from the unceded territory of the Kikite First Nation, which is the uh, colonial colonized city, uh, New Westminster. Um, <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, uh, I, I enjoy living in, uh, on this land. I'm pretty lucky. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm happy to be living on the land that I'm living on. Um, it is unceded territory, I'm pretty sure. Yep. Um, uh, as most uh, of them are. Now- <laughs> We we didn't colonizers didn't come and ask too many questions and once <laughs> once they made agreements they broke them all and then continued to do that. It's uh I've watched a few TV shows that um and other programs uh and actually the program that we've both been enrolled in I think it's U of A right Doug of the yes Indigenous uh, Studies program at University yeah. of Alberta the colonize, um, about colonization. And Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say one thing I don't care for about that program is even though they're trying to explain how colonization happened, it's still in a pretty colonized way. (laughs) Mm. But with the viewpoint, uh, my actual point is, It's really interesting to see how um, the Indigenous people have a very different perspective of of what was going on when they were making these agreements um, Mm -hmm. based on the idea that, of course, we should be joint caretakers of the land and the land actually can't be owned. So you might, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, utilize a specific territory and that's recognized mm-hmm. as you, but you can't really own our mother earth. Nope. And that's kind of what country, systems of country have felt that we can do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's kind of why I also just love the fact that when we came here, it's not like it was called Canada or the United States or all that. People had territories of areas where they lived which makes sense and and my understanding my limited understanding by the way of you know like just kind of the partnerships that would have been forged between neighbors or and still feel tensions and things like that that would happen but mm-hmm. certainly just I don't know um the the went before colonizers got here this place is still very much full of uh, like nature and and i believe uh in the terms of uh spiritual belief just a way more balanced and true honestly to to almost any core perspective of religion be a christianity or not than what actually happened here through colonization and uh it's generally a shaming just to think like or eradicating indigenous people has generally been, I mean, not just North America, but any part, South America, uh, I think Mexico as well, any any areas where there were indigenous people to begin with, and then colonizers came and started to, to, to try and eradicate that culture. 
Yeah. Well, and it happened not just to indigenous people either, right? Like, so, I mean, England colonized Scotland and Ireland and the Vikings, you know, were trying to overtake places. And so we have a big history of land taking as mm -hmm. human beings mm. in general. Mm -hmm. um, um, I know one so. fun fact that's happened by for most of this, and all of these leaders have generally been men. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very, you know, I don't know of any colonized country that's, uh, well, you know, probably when there's a queen in place, maybe in England, that was, but overall. Yeah. But as we already know, um, not that the queen wasn't able to make these decisions, but often the figureheads have much less power than mm. um, they, they aren't, uh, what's the word? Um, they, they aren't really as omnipotent. Is that the one that means that they have all the power? Hmm. I don't know. I might be mixing up words there. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting, I guess. Something I learned uh, actually on a program that I were or was listening to before Doug and we talked about this briefly mm -hmm. and I want to get off of talking about indigenous things because we're not indigenous but um, no. <laughs> um we were talking about how um uh you liked um cultural centers better than museums because mm -hmm. you like the experience of the cultural center better mm -hmm. but this is a fact that is not a fun fact that I learned is that when um, Indigenous people were getting their artifacts back, mm -hmm. the government insisted that they have a colony-like structure to bring their things back to, and that is why cultural centers were created. Oh. Otherwise, they weren't going to get their shit back, Doug. Oh, man. <laughs> it's always like... Uh, I mean, I guess this is almost like, and there's always strings attached whenever yeah. the man's involved. Yeah. Uh, whether the man is the government or a federally regulated employer, it, you know, even if you want something that is your basic rights, they want to have strings attached and probably also want to sell you no. Yeah. So, That's uh. Anyway, so yeah, I heard that on a. Uh, program me and mom watched together recently and I was like that is sad oh. but, but I'm I'm glad that artifacts have been returned but I also think that the people should be able to caretake them in whichever traditional way would be mm -hmm. it would have happened before you know um anyway well well they see the the westernized experience that I get from it is significantly better. Indigenous people are way better at providing a quality, enjoyable experience. I'll say that. Anything I've gone, I've had, I felt I've learned, I've had a good thing and I felt included. And I just can't say that about the majority of say the museum experience for me where I felt left out and excluded. And yeah, so. Yeah. And are you speaking uh, as a uh, visually impaired person in that? Uh, yes in that in that comment I was speaking as a blind person <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> just checking if that's the context we're talking about yeah, absolutely it was it was <laughs> the context thank you for uh yes uh maybe I should clarify for our listeners that don't recognize the twin canes on <laughs> our uh, logo uh crossing out the word vulnerability I am blind uh, or have uh, about 10% vision. I was explaining this the other day, uh, maybe in a way that might make a bit more sense for folks is, uh, I feel depending on ideal light situations, I can see kind of and recognize either a person or an object, you know, you know, clearly up to about 15 feet away. And then after that, it'll start to gradually become blurrier the further it gets. And then from that point, I'm really using uh, my perception, uh, my understanding of the environment, uh, other like just memory details that I've 
I've kind of picked up uh, to kind of make a, a picture of what that is or who it is. Right. Because uh, often it can be really difficult to, uh, especially as a child, to explain exactly what and how you see to, uh, to other people. Yeah. And, and I think also like, um, you know, it, with terms like blurry or mm -hmm. things like that, that could mean different things to different people depending on your experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, as, uh, as, uh, as we often say, like in the, in the blindness community sometimes, well, like, or I said, it wasn't blurry to me. I don't know. It didn't seem to me. It's everything seemed normal. This is all I know. So that's a dumb question for me. Right. Yeah. Uh, in your context probably is blurry. Uh, but as a child, it's hard to explain that. And also you, um, uh, generally speaking, because, uh, blindness can be so looked down upon and people pity you so much you often try and lie about how much vision you have to always make it sound significantly better than it is right it's yeah. just kind of a it's it's a protection skill that you develop over time yeah uh, until you learn to shed all of that and that's when you truly will start to become happy <laughs> <laughs> That's my belief, at least. Yeah. You have to shed the lies you tell yourself and others. I can uh, I can segue here, though, because that's kind of a we are. Uh, this is our New Year's commitment episode. Yeah. Uh, I don't really like resolutions and we're past that anyway. Uh, any I think we're at the, the middle of the month. So resolutions officially expire after the first week. So now. <laughs> I'm on to commitments and I've been talking about commitments for a while. I've been calling them these, my core commitments. Cause one of my core commitments is to actually commit to my core and do start doing proper exercise and eating and, and taking care of my body in general, as I'm going to be only getting older and I'm starting to get more and more nagging injuries. Yeah. Uh, so I feel I, I really have to, to, that's one of my commitments is I have to take better care of my core and my body. So uh, I think how I'm going to do that is I am going to make a commitment to exercise four times a week for 30 minutes. And uh, I might, uh, I might, I might diarize this that way. I know I'm, 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 I'm uh, being honest to myself. Right. Uh, let's see. I do have a physical goal as well. Okay. Um, and I'm making it simple. I want it to be achievable. Mm -hmm. So my goal is uh, 200 days of yoga throughout the oh, year. So that's a fantastic goal. Yeah. And um, for me, that means if I spend 10 minutes or more doing yoga, mm -hmm. I did my yoga. No, okay. nice. um, I usually do it uh, via like YouTube. Mm -hmm. So I often just pick like a 20 minute yoga routine because you mm. can find that easily. Uh, although I did go to a yoga class with my friend Maria the other day because my schedule at work was switched around. So I was mm -hmm. able to go to a restorative yoga uh, practice, which is my favorite kind. It's gentler. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, more stretching so I really need that stretching um, now I've noticed it a lot in the last um, I would say the last two years yoga mm -hmm. stretches that I never even felt before I'm like oh this is what I'm stretching <laughs> mm -hmm. I do have tight hamstrings <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to also commit to a yoga goal. It's not as ambitious as yours, but there is um, a yoga program through the CNIB that I did one time. And uh, I've admittedly said it, 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 it kicked my butt. Yeah. I was, I was, I was down napping halfway through that. Not, well, not napping, but halfway <laughs> through the class realizing I, I think I, I was, I anticipated this was easier than I thought. Yeah. Uh, and that I'm not in good shape. 
but um, so I want to try and maybe participate in 15 of those classes this year. Yeah, uh, it's weekly. So that's 52. I know I won't do that. So I'm going to say 15, because uh, especially right now, my schedule would allow that. So uh, that that will also be part of my my commitment that well, that would count as an exercise day, actually. Yeah, it yeah. will. It'll okay. fit in with your uh, core goals. You'll yeah, it will. For your core. Sounds Man, like I... it's like a flow yoga, which is can be pretty intense hmm. where you're moving from posture to posture pretty quickly. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. Well, look at that synergy there. There you go. Uh, my other, I have two, two commitments to myself. My other one, this one's proving to be much more difficult than yoga. Okay. It's, um, it's an emotional mental health goal, uh, mm. which is I want to, um, let's see. When I notice that I'm ruminating about something, and especially when it comes out as I feel like I want to control other people because I'm worried about them, mm. <laughs> I'm going to try and recognize that, A, I don't get to control anyone but myself, and mm -hmm. that's even limited, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, that, yeah, that I, I want to... Um, yeah, acknowledge that I'm having feelings of worry and not deny them, but also not be stuck in a worried place of, about things I have no control over. So um, well, that's come up with some like specific tools to help me through that part, I guess. So I think one one easy thing for me to do, because I have this kind of practice already, is probably um journaling a bit on that rather mm -hmm. than just leaving it in my head just kind of like mm -hmm. put it on the paper and say yeah I know what what this is about now and I can leave it alone I think mm -hmm. that might help me uh that's wow we're we're really uh, we're really synergized today Shauna so one of my things as well is like I wanted to have like say less anxiety around my my uh, corporate work situation mm -hmm. uh, and not allow that to kind of uh, come into my life other than the 16 hours I've, I'm employed there. Uh, and that also is similar. It involves coming up with strategies to, to how do you prevent that from happening. Yeah. Uh, so I feel that that's kind of one of my, one of my things. But also um, I had a, a self-care goal Mm -hmm. uh and i'm like well other than guitar i'm like that that's a kind of not i'm like that's a cheater goal now because i know i'm going to do that every day so i'm like that's more yeah. i feel it's past self-care in a way and it, there's uh uh so i'm going to i uh, think my self-care goal is to to journal three times a week ah. i feel that would be would be beneficial yeah uh so that's that's one of my one of my self-care goals as well are you gonna are you gonna write with a pen and paper or are you a computer journaler? I I don't know. Like see in the computer it would be legible and readable after. Yeah. And and faster. Yeah. Uh but I feel I don't know. I still feel just even like writing in a journal uh can be therapeutic. I feel like even if I had uh like significantly less vision. Mm -hmm. uh because at this point i feel even just writing even if you couldn't that even if it's a messy scrawl you still know what you're saying you're still putting that into paper and who would really care if somebody else can read it per se because yeah. i think uh a lot of that is uh especially journaling like that can just like say is a soothing aspect yeah uh so I'm thinking I'll probably write actually. I got a, I got a, I think I got, I got a stack of journals actually. Yeah. Uh, Cause I always, I always, uh, anytime I do a new improv class, I always do uh, get a new, a new journal for those, for the notes. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, I usually do write. So my writing's fairly messy. So sometimes I have a hard time decoding it. Mm. 
but that's okay. When I'm, uh, I do write um, actually actively at least one, well, twice a week right now. It just mm. happens to be both on the same day, mm. which is a Wednesday. Uh, I am part of a virtual writing circle and a physical writing circle. Mm. Um, and they're both um, stream of consciousness um, writing. So we'll listen to something or get a prompt of some sort. And that's mm. our our inspiration for our writing. But okay. you write whatever you want out of that piece of inspiration. Mm -hmm. um, and then I actually am part of another one. I just started, did my first one today, um, which is twice a month on Saturdays. Um, because I found like, even though my, uh, one of my journaling, they, I have the ability to use three prompts a week uh -huh. that's um, provided, but I often only do it on the one day where I have to show up to my circle. So oh. when, I, when I'm left to my own devices, I'm not as productive with my journaling. And sometimes I even sat down, sit by myself and with the goal of doing it, but it's not the same as having, um, I like the experience of uh, writing and sharing with other people more. And so I feel better about it. Yeah. So, or I, I'm more likely to complete it. When I do it by myself, I often feel like I rush through or I don't feel very inspired by what I'm writing or I don't know, I find it harder. Uh, I think the type of journal I'm going to do, uh, and I said I was going to do this two or three times a week, so this will actually be really easy, is I'm going to call, and this is going to be an ableism journal. Ah. So anytime that I get uh, encounter some form of ableism, be it at work, uh, be it not at work, uh, you know, uh, or just, you know, un unwanted attention. Yeah. Uh, or sometimes where people, you know, I'll journal it or sometimes when, when you get wanted advice. See what I often find, uh, the two things I find with, if, uh, I shall, I should tell a little story, uh, when you're blind and you identify, uh, identify that blindness using a cane, uh, that can sometimes, a mobility cane, that can sometimes uh, have people want to decide that they, they have a right to come into your space and offer uh, advice to you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this can happen if you do something as silly as, as dare stand still for three seconds, and then you must be in distress because why, why would this person stop for any moment of time? <laughs> I, maybe I should approach this time and talk very slowly at first. Um, anyway, uh, so I thought, yeah, I do an uh, 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 ableism journal. But anyway, uh, oftentimes you get sometimes really good advice. And usually the, the, either these people uh, a ask, do you, do you, can I, you know, uh, they at least ask to even enter your personal space before asking if they can help you. Uh, it's different, I find. Uh, but generally, I'll say the rule of thumb is that. But uh, what's helpful is say when people give advice, that would be useful for everyone. I feel that's the best advice. Like uh, uh, I was walking uh, the other day and there was ice up ahead. And uh, the person that passed me said, hey, there, there's ice up ahead. And I was like, well, thank you, sir. That's logical. <laughs> you see, I got a cane, you know. But you also, I feel that's advice you could give even a sighted person. Yes. You know, it's not, you know, it's not like uh, now, now some, that's a normal reaction. I'll give a bad reaction is, uh, you know, either once I cross the ice, be like, oh, man, that was great. I didn't think you could do that. <laughs> um, that would be a, a bad reaction. Um, offering a hug because uh, I'm simply walking home uh, at 1140. <laughs> Uh, that's that's not you know often what really uh, even if that that walk is very inspiring to you it is still just uh, a walk <laughs> they're assuming that you don't have you know a wife and child that might want to hug you at home oh that's definitely not assumed at <laughs> all <laughs> uh, I mean I find the irony often in that the majority of these people that probably come into my unwanted space and offer me all this advice that I am 
honestly, I am more privileged than them, most likely. Um, which is, you know, I'm I'm very blessed. I shouldn't be, to be honest. Even uh, I'm, I feel I've just been given more opportunity versus I have any, uh, say, better skill set than one of the seventy two percent of uh, blind and visually impaired people that are unemployed currently. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's very, I guess I'm, uh, I don't experience um, that personally, but because I work with, um, uh -huh. with uh, cognitively and physically different people, uh, I experience that I, I get there's kind of two things that happen mostly like um, yeah definitely a lot of entering personal space which we are like really trying to discourage with COVID like uh -huh. I know my person is sticking her hand out and wants to shake your hand but we don't want her to touch her because oh. I don't know if you have COVID. Um, <laughs> so normally we don't discourage that because it's nice if people want to interact with her. And yeah. some people, you know, don't because she's in a wheelchair and doesn't speak words and mm -hmm. they're like freaked out by that. So we're very mm -hmm. um, happy when people are willing to be friendly. But at the same time, in this time of COVID, it's like, no, keep don't no touchy please no yeah. <laughs> just and not that we're super paranoid about it or anything but it's it is um top of mind as a um you know I can't make this person can't necessarily make an informed choice for herself mm -hmm. so then it's my role to facilitate that right mm -hmm. yes um so um and then the other thing is um, pity, like uh -huh. they feel, you know, pity that maybe she doesn't have a good quality of life. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to ensure that she can have a pretty darn good quality of life or else she probably uh, wouldn't even be out of her house for you to feel pity for her. No. <laughs> uh, I get that also, um, like if I tell somebody that I'm legally blind, uh, often our first response is, I'm sorry. Uh, this has been generally since I was a child. So I've uh, developed, even then I was like, please, please don't be, I'm, I'm happy. I don't want to change it. Yeah. Uh, it makes me who I am. Uh, I, I think part of it for me is why it's so hard. Uh, I didn't really decide to fully start identifying as I'd say a blind individual until about 40. Uh, so that's when I decided to start using a cane start using a screen reader, uh, like really uh, pretty much fully identify as a blind person as much as possible. I'm thinking one of my other commitments is I'd like to start uh, learning Braille. I'll never be able to read Braille. Like I'm too old for that, but at least get a concept of the letters. Yeah, I feel is something that I could get. Um, and it's free. Yeah, you can, uh, you can, uh, you can learn Braille for free. Through like a, a Headley school, I believe. Um, uh, that's one of my other core commitments. I, I lost train of thought on the rest of the idea, but I'm going to learn Braille. Cool. Oh, yes, I know. I'm like, I just like to commit to even more of, of blindness. I've done that quite a bit, but now I really feel uh, since I uh, I do want it to eventually be uh, like kind of my career path out of my corporate gig. Uh, I'm also going to go to, there is a, uh, a career fair for Vision Loss and Rehab Canada on February 2nd, a virtual career fair. So I was going to check that out and see what types of, of jobs are in the industry. Oh, that's, that's a cool resource to check out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, hmm. I had a fun experience uh this week of um I sent my uh dog training students a welcome letter mm. that um 
the, my mentor was very nice. She said, you can just use this letter if you want or um, change it, whatever you want. And I was like, I'm just going to use your letter because it's very well written. <laughs> but anyway, one of my students uh, reached out to me. And so I was able to about some specific issues that uh, challenges, I'm going to say challenges, it's not an issue, challenges that her dog is having. And so I was like, oh, I was able to give her like a few little, a little game plan. Uh -huh. um, so that kind of moves me into a, another realm of, um, of assisting people hmm. uh, with their dogs. You know, what? Uh, we have a lot of expectation of dogs in our mm -hmm. society to not be dog-like. <laughs> mm, yeah, it's true. <laughs> and um, so, um, and of course we want it to be the most, you know, a very hopefully pleasant living experience mm -hmm. with our dogs. So sometimes we need to focus on certain areas mm -hmm. um, to help out those help out those dogs feel more comfortable, be it with, you know, other dogs or people or mm. whatever, whatever might be a bit unpleasant for them. So, yeah, so I felt good about that, that I was able to um, uh, kind of bring my um, role as a trainer up to a new level that I haven't experienced yet before. I had to feel very good, Shana. Yeah. Yep. So, um, let's see. Oh, hey, I could share something I wrote this morning. Okay, that sounds in my, amazing. In my group, since we like to be vulnerable here and share things. Yeah. Uh, I wonder which one I want to share. Huh. I wrote two on two things. One's like quite personal and the other one is less personal. I'm going to be brave and read the more personal one, Doug. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's see. So this one, the prompt line that we had was the world's... Um, the world begins at a kitchen table. Okay. This brings, so that was the prompt. This brings up so many memories, but first a question. How much do we miss when we skip dinner at the table? It is such an intentional gathering space and we ne neglect it often at our house. Being so-called entertained instead by the TV, but missing each other. <laughs> Yesterday, my mom came for dinner. And then Jacob showed up. He did not want. Um, he did not want our dinner, but and but was swayed into sitting down. Each of us willing to share a portion of our steak with him, and we heard so much more than if he had not. How he had shoveled nine roofs in fifteen days, using this snow as an opportunity to make his rent money. How he met a girl he picked up hitchhiking. I'm pretty sure it was who her who put his hair in two skinny stick-like braids down to his shoulders, how his auntie paid him generously and gave him a gift certificate to a sushi place in Nelson and how he plans to use it with this new girl. I wonder if they're letting not vaccinated people in or if they'll have to take it to go. My mom always reminisces about something. And today it makes me think about my childhood kitchen table and how sometimes it was uneventful, but often a bit of stress. My sister not liking many of the foods brought there, tension between my parents, the time my dad was nattering and my mom threw her fork and by some miracle or disaster, it stuck in my dad's bottom lips and hung there and the chaos that ensued. In a child's mind, the beginning of separation, but really more like the last straw. Perhaps I will try to build better better memories around the table. I like the intention of meeting. That's wonderful, Shauna. 
Thanks. Uh, and for me, it's like I never get uh, because I'm so young. I don't ever really get a conception of our parents being together per se. Yes. <laughs> like I don't even. And I, I mean, that's I feel lucky. <laughs> to be honest, <laughs> I don't ever feel I missed anything. <laughs> yeah. I would say there was. It was definitely like not all bad, yeah. but as you know, living with a, um, let's see, you know, a very young mom who was unskilled in navigating a lot of things and also um, who was married to a active alcoholic at the time, yeah. <laughs> posed yeah. as challenges. <laughs> it did. And I, um, I mean, unfortunately, like, our mom's situation is the situation of a lot of women yeah with yeah. with an alcoholic male in an imbalanced relationship uh, mm -hmm. power a power balance in the relationship and them having to be by themselves with you know in the 70s of at least three kids was the expectation yeah. where you probably weren't doing enough <clears throat> yeah I, yeah you, i think it was definitely challenging and i mean like when i say our mom was young, like yeah. she wasn't quite 20 when she had me. So she no, was very young. She was young. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, you know, older than some, but. Yeah. Pretty yeah, young. Pretty young. Um, and yeah. And then just even, and in our dad's case, the role modeling that that was just an acceptable way for uh -huh. people to live men to behave and you know drinking is just such a part of um i i thought it was normal for so long because that's all the habits that you would you would see yeah and that i would participate in for far too long yeah so interesting how like now my idea I actually just decided the other day that i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna lower binge drinking for myself to three beer uh, yeah, because <laughs> that's that that's my garbage point. I feel what binge drinking is is have have I drank too much and I have my garbage point where I feel I'm gonna feel yucky the next day. I'm gonna regret what I've done, you know. Uh, so now that's three, uh, and I'm sure back when I was like you know twenty, that was like twenty three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, our body can recover much better when we're younger. And yeah. I think it's really interesting, um, uh, with the exception of our sister, who has definitely drank to excess at some points of her life, um, has done so less than both of us. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, yes. But, you know, we do come from this model of where we were very aware of conscious choice not to drink, right? Mm -hmm. Like. With, I mean, I always say I was raised in the ch church of AA. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Uh, that's that was a big part of um, life with our dad mm -hmm. uh, post drinking. So, um, anyway, I think you know what uh, my husband points this out to me often is that I think any drug use and drinking especially in men is problematic mm. i don't think that i'm wrong per se but i that's like something that i um worry about a lot and it um yeah it's a big trigger for me for sure like um, i feel pretty uncomfortable when men are drinking too much around me and it's uh you know uh, my current husband is a very, um, even if he's like really, really drunk, there is no chance of anything shady going down. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just like, okay, you're having too much fun and I don't like it. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, we've passed the acceptable point here. <laughs> yeah. like trigger warning, trigger warning. <laughs> so, yeah. So so that's, a, um, you know, something from my past that definitely influences my present. And 
it probably doesn't need to so much. It's just really hard to let go of those things when it's been your childhood experience, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, I think men often, a large majority of them behave badly, but then when you add, you add liquor to that and then usually multiple men as well, that just, they usually get to an encouraging point and that's, I just feel when so many people are damaged from that. Yeah. Either yourself or I don't know. I just, I really, I feel there's not enough education around really uh, just appropriate, acceptable liquor and drug use in schools. I feel even if, even if those, those age limits are there, which they should be, I mean, there should still be more active conversation around that. And even, you know, especially conversation around you, you really shouldn't have, if you're going to drink more, it probably shouldn't happen or do other drugs. It shouldn't happen until you're after 25 and your brain's at least fully developed. Uh, but I don't, I feel we don't do a lot of education. And then that's, that's part of the problem where you get so many people just binge drinking and it's a problem in just males. I mean, I, There'd be, there'd be, uh, uh, in my binge drinking circles that I've had over the years, there's been a couple of women, but overall, predominantly, I'd say it's a 90% at least male club. Yeah. I think, um, well, you know, we do have the, there's definitely women who over drink as well. And I mean, I've been definitely guilty of that as a teenager and even, uh, I think probably sometimes at home too, like, I think it's really, you know, a couple beers is super acceptable or a mm-hmm. couple glasses of wine. But yesterday I drank like two beers and two glasses of wine. And I mean, mm-hmm. I poured generously of my mm-hmm. wine. <laughs> and so I'm like, Hey, I probably didn't drink, need to drink that much. And I mean, I have noticed like my tolerance is increasing. So that's always a bad sign. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, and I wasn't behaving badly in any Mm -hmm. way, shape or form. I was safely in my house. Yeah. Uh, Watching a movie, you know. Um, But in general, um, women have a lot more to be worried about if you're out in public Mm -hmm. and intoxicated because you are likely to be targeted for someone to take advantage of you in some way. Well, not likely. It's a good possibility. (laughs) It is a good possibility, unfortunately. So you need to, I, you know, as women, we learn these rules of society young and, and if something bad does happen to us, we are going to be blamed for it. Not whoever the perpetrator of whatever, we're being blamed for is has done to us. No, I know, which is uh, is heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, I don't even. I guess this is another thing, like around why well, even the basic, uh, you know, health education should have conversations around consent and and things of that nature. Like again, I think I just think. Uh, society would be better off if we actually started educating uh, youth around the actual things of our society instead of just pretending they don't happen and then have, uh, you know, it's tricky because all you really have, I find, are still overall really poor examples in society of how to treat people. Yeah. I mean, even how much, how much media is out there like you know what what if a a a male from today is a big fan uh, like a young male 15 years old is a huge fan of 80s movies right well he's gonna have no respect for women whatsoever uh and and they're not getting you know even where places where they start to have more moderate uh health education like ontario decide to let's go back to 1992 where I still feel it was basically socially acceptable to assault people because we certainly didn't talk about I I had like a teacher one time uh, in 
I had a I had a gym teacher one time. He was part gym teacher, and in my tiny little school, that also meant a gym teacher um, had to have to have at least one other class. I'm yeah. thinking he had some fluff class, um, and he was a terrible teacher. But like, I'm gonna I can say at least three things that I believe that were horrible they did that caused shaming and would would damage people. Um, he was the coach of the boys basketball team. Uh, at the time when the boys basketball team wasn't very good, uh, we had a women's basketball team that was quite good. Uh, in some form of reason, masculinity, I don't know why, he felt the need that the boys had to challenge the women to a game, <laughs> which they promptly lost Yeah, because the women's team had a couple of people that are actually going to college. Like it was a legitimately good team, but this person had an ego. Yeah. Um, one time in class, he, uh, in our, whatever class he is teaching, he hypothetically talked about how back in his day, boys would sometimes you like put a, a pinprick through a condom. I'm like, why would you even say something like that? Like that's, and then also, which uh, affected me, and I shared this actually in a, a group the other day, uh, is uh, on our sports day, uh, in our sports day, um, they're going to run the, uh, the 100 meter or the 200 meter race for our grade. And then uh, one of the, his, his basketball players, it's funny, I think you said it to this person, just thinking like this person would think is a joke or whatnot. And probably, so I should uh, say another story. Uh, when I was in grade 11, I did a, I did a support group. I was like, a, like four of us. Uh, one was my uh, good friend of mine and the other two, I didn't know that well. And I always thought, you know, we were pretty different from each other. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't hang out in their circle and it's not like I had a, I went to a small school. Uh, but through that, uh, I was one of the first times where I actually uh, explained my blindness to people that weren't blind other than say a camp and felt comfortable yeah. doing that through those experiences and also talking, uh, about our father's suicide. Um, this is really the first time I started to maybe feel comfortable being able to share those things. And I feel, I feel very grateful actually to have this counseling therapy experience through my school. Uh, anyway, so one of the benefits is that that brings people closer together that you wouldn't normally think. So, so then what happened is when the teacher, uh, he, he, he made a comment that, uh, oh, the student mentioned, oh, should we get, should I get Douglas or Doug or whatever? He said, probably Doug to run the race. And the teacher said something like, no, he won't even be able to see the lines anyway. Don't worry. Uh, and, uh, this I found, but then he told me this and I was obviously hurt by it. Uh, but then more importantly too, when to actually, he, you know, the principal kind of stepped in and he vouched for this as well. So then that teacher had to actually apologize. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the year, he got fired because I'm pretty sure I wasn't the only person that complained about him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, uh, and, I and there's an example of the fine educators that were in our school system in the 90s. Yeah, and <laughs> I would like to like um, what I really like about that story is how you illustrated what can be damaging to people. And like I was thinking, oh, it's going to be the creepy gym teacher who's going into locker rooms that he doesn't belong into, or you know what I mean? So I'm yeah. thinking like a huge event that of course is damaging but uh it things can be pretty subtle to be damaging mm -hmm. and probably actually have more people are impacted by things like that you know and, uh, and how so you feel about yourself like i remember um learning sometime on on oprah or something about like shadow beliefs like these things that you learn at some point in your life and they they really stick with you uh -huh. you know uh -huh. and generally negative right like it's it's a negative look at yourself and i remember one of the ones i have is um i wasn't like super young but i wasn't old so i would say uh i was probably 25 because jacob was like a little baby mm. 
and we were visiting um, Ivan and Rita Dow, our grandparents. Uh -huh. And I was, um, you know, like most people who have just had a baby, like most women, I thought I should, you know, I was concerned that I wasn't skinny enough yet. Uh -huh. Um after just having this fucking 10 pound baby duck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and there was a lot of conversations in, I would say both sides of our family about, um, uh, especially women's weight. Yeah. Um, and so I was, you know, trying to justify my baby weight or something still. And, uh, uh anyway, which I, you know, I brought up the subject, but I, which I probably didn't have to, but um, grandpa said to me something, and this has like become like a, a shadow belief for me for sure about, and I don't know why, but he said like, once you have a fat ass, you always have a fat ass, you know? Like that. <laughs> and I'm like, which, you know, uh, is probably I, true, maybe. Yeah, but I, I was just, and maybe it was his way of like, <laughs> actually what he was really trying to say is, hey, you don't need to worry about that. Like you're a woman yeah. now and you're not going to have your teenage body back. But that's yeah. not what he said, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so of course I interpreted that as like, oh my God, now I don't even have hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, but it what it really does like, I don't know. It's just like, I don't, it's just so convoluted. Like why, why was I even having that conversation with my grandpa? And why didn't I just feel good about where I was at in my body at the time? Or, um, and why did he think it was okay to say that to me? You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, upon reflection, I didn't, I, that just brings back a memory though. Of, I'm sure him shaming our grandma often about okay. her fat ass. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. And yeah. And uh his belly was bigger than everyone's. Butt. Oh my god. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he got winded doing three lengths of the kitchen. Yeah. Uh because of the emphysema and the and the and the machine. So I'm sure part of that was shaming, maybe him feeling not great about himself and then passing that on. Oh yeah. I mean, um, that, especially in that relationship, there was a lot of um him being mean because he had lost his independence, you know, like that's how yeah. it came out. Um yeah. for sure. What? Uh, it's this is I mean where it's just so hard because back then people, I mean in general it seems uh, anyone different than a standard just wasn't valued. So if you're a man and you no longer can, you know, work or do those kind of things, then you're you're not you're not valued by society anymore. So then you're automatically going to start looking to take that out on someone. And then society has also said for thousands of years. That a man, it's perfectly okay to check out any of his problems on his his wife or partner, effectively, uh, which it's not. Uh, yeah, and vice versa. Not <laughs> and vice versa. Just unfortunately, the percentage is. I I think it's important, but then I'm also like, yeah, yeah, it's nice and it's important to talk about. And I've been in difficult relationships in the past. But then I'm just like, overwhelmingly, though, I'm like, we got to educate the other way for, you know, the one is a small is a problem for sure. But I feel the other one is a gigantic, enormous problem that we got to at least somewhat get into control. And I felt if we did, actually, that would automatically probably shrink that other problem. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, it's, uh, yeah, we definitely need to kind of bridge the gap of uh, equality, true equality between women and men, not, not just in job opportunities and things like that, which are of course important, but actually um, being valued members of society uh, with the same, they get the same respect when they state their beliefs and their, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. things like that. But uh, I agree in validating 
the caretaking of children is an actual job because it is it's a huge responsibility yeah it's way more important than going and yelling at people for like six hours making no decisions over four months and getting a bonus and you know (laughs) i don't know i just feel there's a you know and even like for the equality that's happening for women it's for privileged women yeah it's not it's not happening at an equitable rate for all women no and and the same thing is for in my case uh you know opportunities for people with disabilities happens to dis- people with disabilities with privilege yeah i mean and I'm, I'm a good example of that I, I i don't have a college degree i i live through poverty but I'm a white male. There's no way that you can keep me down. I still found a way into a federally regulated job and, and have generally maintained employment for 25 years. Yeah. Uh, but I'm also have the ability, uh, I mean, for a long time to, to hide my blindness. And uh, I mean, this one thing I've been really fortunate about is since I joined uh, the Vancouver Eclipse hockey team, I guess, 12 years ago, that really started a journey to, to kind of accepting it. And I feel I accelerated that five years ago. And my commitment for, for this year is to even accelerate that further. Yeah. Uh, well, Carl Rogers would be proud of you, Doug. You're moving <laughs> to self-actualization. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so, and um and one of the tenets that helps people get there is uh, unconditional positive regard for each other and for ourselves. Mm. Yeah. There's there's a fun fact from Psychology 101, or not? Well, probably not 101, but sometime in psychology. <laughs> some, at some point, that at was said point, in the I history of psychology. <laughs> At some point, I learned about theories of psychology. That's <laughs> the second year course. <laughs> so, anyway, well, Doug, you got anything you want to share? You got a tune you want to play? Our- you know what? Uh, it's not a full tune, yeah. but uh, I've been working on a song. It's called uh, "I Do" by Neil Young. I've only. Uh, I don't know if my guitar is in tune. Okay. I hope it is. Uh, But I've only been working on it for about four days. Yeah. Uh, So I'm just going to sing the first two verses. Okay. And maybe play the, the chord progression thing. Show me that garden in the sun that you saw. It shakes me a lot because every verse I have to get down to a point of memory. Uh, I'm not I'm not using words, folks. Oh, you can't see this is audio. Folks, I'm not using words or looking at anything. I do it all by memory. So this about four days ago, I've been able to get two verses. I'm hoping to maybe try and have it learned in uh, two months or three months. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks for sharing. I feel Probably. like um, this is a good first episode of the year. Uh, we do have a goal, mm-hmm. six episodes. So yes, that means one every two months. Monthly. Yeah. We need to record. Yes. Okay. And uh, I'm the uh, spearheader of all of our episodes. Doug, yes. Doug uh, really brings it, but sometimes I have to encourage him. He does. She does. <laughs> I'm gonna, I think I'm going to try. One of mine is to be more committed to the podcast. Okay. But, well, we can both do that. I think sometimes I, uh, I let you off too easy. That's true. So, which I'm totally fine with, but we have a goal, six episodes. So that's pretty good. Yeah. One down. One down. First one in the can. Yeah. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. I'm going to press the stop button now.
Thanks very much for listening to Sibling Vulnerability. It's so hard for me to say that. That's why you get a pause every time. Uh, uh, We appreciate everyone who takes their time to listen. Uh, Keep tuning in. Bye. Thank you.